Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning. How are you this morning? Standing on the rock? Yeah, rock solid, that's it. All right, we are, uh, this is the last in the series that we've been working on, on how to live right when things go wrong. Our uh, home meetings ended a, a few weeks early in June, but we're ending this series here. And it's been a good, it's been a helpful series because one of the things that we struggle with when we think about the gospel and what it means to live out of the gospel and what, we, what it means to be affected by it is what difference does it make when things are tough? when the pressure's on, when um, our hearts are, are about to buckle. What does, difference does the gospel make to us then? And we've been looking at the different ways that it makes a difference. It makes a powerful difference in our lives. Um, we spent some time looking at some of the obstacles that would stand in the way of us um, living out of the gospel when pressure's on. We also have been looking at Jesus, how he's our fulfillment. Uh, one of the things we said very early on is that... <sighs> The nature of the gospel is the great exchange. The idea that Jesus is our righteousness. He is our hope. He is our peace. When you lack hope in, uh, or encouragement when the pressure's on, the first thing you've got to go to is not hope or encouragement as an abstract idea or even a feeling that you might feel, but Jesus himself is your hope and your encouragement. So we said that he is uh, in our asset column in the gospel. And every other asset that we would have goes into the liability column. So we looked at that and Paul's sort of accounting analogy that he used. Um, what we're doing today is wrapping up with, with this passage from Ephesians. And the, um, the thing is, is that it's, it's deeply connected with everything that Paul's been saying here. We've covered a lot of that in earlier days. So we're not going to expand more, much more than what we have here. But if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your app with you, open it to Ephesians 4 and 5, the end of Ephesians 4 and the beginning of 5. And let's just take a look. We'll add one. I've decided, Jeff asked me, are you sure you just want to do those two verses? I said, yeah, I'm sure. And uh, what I think I want us to do is just be sure to look at verse 32 of chapter 4 as well uh, to help orient us to what's going on. So apps open, Bibles open, ready to go. End of Ephesians 4, beginning of Ephesians 5. Look at verse 32. I'm reading from the ESV. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me pray for us, and let's begin to look at these verses together. Heavenly Father, um, as we sang, we we need to build our house on, on Jesus, our rock and our salvation, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we come to you, we admit our need for you. We admit the fact that we, um, that we cannot have hope without you and your effort on our behalf. We want to know you better through your word. We want to know you better through your spirit, testifying to our hearts that uh, we're made new, that we're your children. Uh, we want a hope that cannot fade. 
And so, Father, we ask that you administer to us now through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we, one of the things that I want you to see here, and we're just going to look briefly at this. Um, the first thing that we're going to look at is that we need to be imitators of God. Imitators of God, right? And the second thing we're going to look at is that we need to, uh, we need to walk as Jesus walked. We need to follow Jesus. So the first thing is imitators of God. The second thing is following Jesus. And what you'll see is that that that's involved with our worship. That's involved with the way that we're poised to be able to face any kind of thing that we're going to face. So let's look briefly at those things. First, uh, imitators of God. You know, there, Jesus, Jesus really focused on this in his ministry. He really focused on it. And the idea, one of the parables that he told was of a, an older brother and a younger brother. And those two things contrast, are contrasted with what's, what's going on here, what Paul says here. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, in Jesus' parable of the older brother, younger brother, the older brother is religious. And many of you have grown up in a church context, and you've been very religious. And religious means to you maybe different things, but among them it might mean coming to church on Sundays, and making sure that you do that regularly. It might mean tithing regularly, giving an offering to the church and, and to ministries and, and part, of your, part of your resources, acknowledging that they're God's and giving them away. It might mean praying regularly or spiritual disciplines or checking off the checklist. But one of the things we've talked about over this, the course of this series is that a checklist won't do it for you. It won't change your heart the way that your heart needs to be changed. And we've said that the heart is the center of human beings in the Bible. It's the center of who we are. So that center of who you are won't change in the way that it needs to be changed through just doing a checklist. Why? And, and that's what Paul is getting in here and in, in what Jesus gets in that parable. It's, it's, somewhat re- it's definitely related. The idea is that if you have grown up in a religious way, one of the things you're trying to do is say, God, I'm going to, uh, I want to please you. I want your favor. Now, that doesn't sound bad in and of itself. I want to please you. I want your favor. But what happens, because sin is still present in our hearts, our hearts are still broken, our hearts are jury-rigged, to be our own representative before God, not to rely on Jesus before God. Because our hearts are jury-rigged in that way, we take our performance in religious duty and we make it a way that God, that we would have God owe us. It's a way to avoid God. So in the, in the ways that you've gone about religiosity in your life, spirituality in your life, if you're, if you're highly religious, if, if following the rules is important to you, chances are that you've struggled with this, that you've struggled with trying to check off the checklist and please God. But in the gospel, we see that, that no other name other than Jesus under heaven can people be saved by. So it's not your name. It's not your effort. It's Jesus' effort. So one, one way to come is the older, elder brother came. The elder brother is seldom, is often overlooked in that story, that parable of Jesus. The elder brother saw that the younger brother, we'll get to him in a second, went away, Right? 
went away. He took all of the things. He didn't take the Father's love. He took all of the things that the Father had given him or could give him, and he went away and he squandered them. Irreligion, right? But the religious brother, the elder brother, stayed behind. And what's so interesting about that is is his argument at the end of, of Jesus' parable where he stands outside and he refuses to go into the feast of the younger brother when he comes back, when he's, when he's found. He was lost, but he was found. The father throws a feast. He says, this brother of yours was lost, but found. It's right to, to celebrate that he's come back. The elder brother stands outside of the feast, and he refuses to go in, the text says. He refuses to go in, and he says to the father, haven't I slayed for you? You see, religious duty in a way that would get God to owe us. Why do you come to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you go to home meeting? Why do you confess your sins? Why do you serve in a ministry? Be careful. Be careful of that religiosity strain that's, that's necessary, for, that's part of our hearts but necessary to undo, necessary to throw away. The other side of that is irreligion, whereas in Jesus' parable, I know I'm spending a lot of time on the parable, it's a great illustration. Uh, And it gets back to our passage. You'll see how it threads in in a second. The younger brother took God's things, the father's things, and went away and he squandered them. And he said, give me what what would be mine if you died. I want your things, but I don't want you. And one of the things, you know, like I grew up, um, I grew up in a, in a troubled home and one of the ways that I could escape that a bit was through my artisan temperament. And so I played guitar all the time and I, uh, I tested out of the state requirements for high school by 10th grade and I worked with my art teacher to get study halls and, uh, and not really take coursework but I was able to mark down the practice that I did as accreditation you know you had to have some sort of classwork going as the regulations went so I, I finished the last two years of high school basically just playing guitar um, because I resisted the structures and the frameworks, and I was resisting the, the ill structure and ill framework that was that going on at home, and I, I tended to project that around me. And I think that there are a lot of you who have grown up in religious homes or on the other side of this where you're like, okay, I'm tired of the boxed in. I'm tired of the religiosity. I'm tired of being weighed down by all the checklists. I want freedom, and that's exactly where I was at. I wanted freedom from the difficulties that were going on at home, but I also wanted freedom from any structure. You know, the interesting thing is that if you look at Netflix, they, they kind of anticipate through artificial intelligence what your viewing is, your viewing pleasures are, your viewing habits are, and then they'll recommend based on that. And there was one time where uh, I was looking and, and the recommendation came up from my viewing pleasure, and it was, the first words were anti-establishment. <laughs> Visually striking, anti-establishment, visually striking, romantic, cerebral action. I mean, I think that was it, you know. Okay, I'm not proud of that, but that's where it's at. The point is, is that many of you know the striving against, the striving against the structures that would bind you. Many of you have sensed the hypocrisy in religious checklists. You sense it. And so you struggle to be free. 
and you want freedom. But the problem with the, the irreligious model in Jesus' parable is that you're also avoiding God. You're also avoiding God. You want the things that God can bring. You want your freedom. You want freedom to, to go after life as you see fit. But you're avoiding God in that. Um, one of the things that I've learned about music, for example, as I've grown as a player and as I've gotten older, when I was younger, I didn't want to play... Um, I didn't want to focus so much on scales and arpeggios and things like that, although we had to. And I found it frustrating. But I, as I got older, I, f- I found that those structures actually provided the freedom with which to say something as a musician. The freedom to take those notes that you've practiced and your, mu- your muscle memory has memorized and say something beautiful. I've used the Bill, Evans, the Bill Evans story with you before where Bill Evans would be sitting at the keyboard and he was known for his freedom as a jazz pianist. He was known for his freedom. And people would ask him, how can you be so free? And he would say, and I'm paraphrasing largely, but he would say something to the effect of, don't misunderstand. If I sit down at the keyboard and I try to play everything that I know, I'm paralyzed. But if I sit down with two chords, I can create infinitely. So there's something about structures that are actually inherently good that we, in our longing for freedom, I have an artist in temperament, I long for the freedom, anti-establishment is in my Netflix queue, right? I'm with you on that, but there is something necessary about structure to a certain point. You can't live without it. The reason I, I focused on religious approach to life and irreligious approach to life is because that Paul actually cuts across both of those here, as Jesus does in his parable that we used as the illustration. Paul cuts across both of them, and he says, be imitators of God. Ooh, religion. Ooh, structure, framework, not freedom. Ooh, I don't want to do that. But you can't miss the next part of that, as beloved children. As beloved children. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I struggled with in my home growing up was I wanted that. I wanted to be a beloved child. In some ways, through certain family members, I was. But there were aspects of my life growing up where I wasn't. And I wanted that. And so I lived my life in orientation to kind of longing for that, wanting that. In a similar way, in religious pursuit and irreligious pursuit, we're longing for a rootedness, a groundedness. We're longing for wanting to be a a beloved child. Now, I'm not trying to over-psychologize. I'm just trying to say that you can approach God for the things that he brings through religion or through irreligion. You can approach him like that, or you can approach him as a child who's beloved. Why? Because the beloved child of God, Jesus, took your place. He took your place, and he stood in for you. And whether you try to earn God's favor through religious behavior, or whether you try to avoid God's gaze through wanting just freedom, you're avoiding God, and Jesus took the penalty for that. So that now you can approach him in the gospel. An essential part of the gospel is that you can approach God not as someone who's proud, God, I've lived a good religious life, therefore you owe me. And not as somebody who is fearful, God, I've gone my own way, I've done whatever I wanted, don't judge me. 
but as someone who cries out, as Paul says elsewhere, Abba, Father. It's an old phrase for daddy or dada, right? That's the kind of intimacy you were to have with God through what Jesus says. Do you have that intimacy with God? Now, I didn't, because I grew up in a, in a difficult home, I didn't know what being a father meant, so I've been figuring it out as I go. Dads, most of you have done this, yes? Right? And you figure things out as you go. And you'll find that that's the case. But we have a Heavenly Father who's gone before us, showing us the way in the person of His Son and what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us, He's our true elder brother. And by his sacrifice, he brings us into the family when we believe in him as God's beloved children. And he said that nothing in heaven or earth can take that from you. He said that the gates of hell can't prevail against that. Beloved children. So be imitators of God, yes. Imitate God. Know his character. What does that take? It takes attention. It takes, um, it takes studying him. It takes looking at his character. It takes understanding how he works and what his temperament's like. How are you going to do that? Uh, Jeff King, if you've you've not heard Jeff King hold court, uh, you need to hear him hold court, particularly at a party where you you might be just relaxing and like everybody's letting their hair down. Listen to Jeff King hold court. He's a very funny guy. And one of the things he did one day for us around the office was start to do imitations. He did an imitation of me. Very interesting, very interesting. So do I really sound like that? Uh, and I do, of course. So he, but he had paid attention. He had, he had brought his faculty to bear on my mannerisms and the way that I talk and the way that I sort of smile when I talk. And, and he did me, right? He did, he did me. So in the same way, what is your plan? What's your plan for going to God as a beloved child? What does it look like for you? Do you have one in your daily life? Is that how you relate to God now? As dearly beloved children, that's what Paul's saying. Imitate him. Think about him. Know his character. Know how he would react. Know what his decisions would be. Know what he's going to laugh at and what he's going to smile at. Know what he's going to frown at and not enjoy. And imitate him, but not as religious or irreligious, but as beloved children. That's the only way that you'll find freedom. Okay? So that's the first stop. The second stop, imitators of God, first stop. Second stop, verse 2, followers of Jesus. Verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, this, this gets at it. This gets at it because... One of the things that um, one of the things I've noticed about Philadelphia that I also grew up with in Western Pennsylvania when I grew up there is that people are really tough here. I'm not sure that I've seen tougher people ever. I, I, this is like a Spartan place where you swim up river and have to like overcome things. Have you seen the people working out by the steps? I saw these two women, these bags of concrete. And they were just like throwing them up in the air and letting them land and throwing them up in the air and letting them land. I thought there's no way I could take them. (laughs) I wouldn't want to fight them, you know. Toughness. I mean, I guess that's sort of the Rocky theme, right, what everything's about. But there's toughness. I get that. When I was growing up in high school, there were um, two famous brothers, wrestling brothers. 
And one of the ways that they warmed up for wrestling is that they went out, they had a, lived on a farmhouse, and they went out and there was sort of a junk pile of accumulated things that had broken down. And among them was this washing machine, like a, your washer and dryer. And so they would warm up for wrestling practice by getting this washing machine and they would play catch with it, right? So I get it, right? I get it. Your toughness, your own strength. I grew up around it. You're, growing, you're in it. This is a tough place. This is a tough town. Self-sacrifice in the way that Paul's talking about here is not the same thing. Because in a similar way to religiosity and irreligion, you can overdo self-sacrifice and not have it be about self-sacrifice at all. But you've put yourself in a place where you're wanting either payment or you're putting yourself in a place where you're just giving away too much and you'll burn out. So for example... Um, Let's say that, you know, you have a friendship. You have somebody that you've been a friend with, and you've been um, at odds with them about something. You've been at odds with them about something, and you're, you're avoiding them, you know, and you're putting up with them when they continue in the way that they're, uh, let's say that the thing you're at odds at is something that they're doing to you, something that they're doing to you you think is unfair, right? And you're putting up with them, and you're standing in for them, and you're overlooking a multitude of wrongs. We say to our kids all the time, we say, okay, before you come to us, what are you going to do? You can overlook it, you can work it out. Before you get help, overlook it, work it out. Overlook it, work it out. But the problem is, is you can do that to such an extent that you become embittered. Why? Because you're the only one who's giving away, and you're the only one who's giving away, and you're the only one who's giving away. And you begin to turn that into leverage against them. I pour out all of this for you. I pour out all of this effort for you. And I'm not getting anything in return. And you begin to justify the way that you treat them. You make them pay a price for your service. Right? In a similar way, you can uh, draw quick lines. You can give so much, but draw quick lines the boundaries too closely and you can say, you know what, I'm done giving to you because you're not giving anything back. I'm done giving to you because you're not giving anything back. And you draw the line quickly and you write them off and you make them pay for taking too much of time that you want to protect. Now, the thing is here is that self-sacrifice looks different. It looks different. Walk in love, what's he talking about? Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He's talking about, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why does he say that? Because it's hard to be kind when somebody else is not. Again, this is Philadelphia, known for toughness, not known for kindness, right? You've experienced this. You have to have had experienced this. Whether it's waiting in line at Dunkin' Donuts or driving on Kelly Drive or wherever it's at, you've experienced someone lack of kindness towards you. Why does Paul talk about kindness being necessary and rooted in the love that Christ has showed you? Because we're not good at it. We're not good at it. Think about when you're emotionally spent. Think about when you're psychologically spent. Think about when you're physically spent. And that person, that difficult person calls you or that difficult person's in front of you or your family's 
going haywire or whatever the case is. Whatever the case is, those are the moments where you can walk in love. Why? Because you're beloved children, you're imitators of God, but because in God, as God in Christ forgave you, verse 32, tender-hearted. He uses the word tender-hearted. Why? Because our hearts get hard. You know what it's like to make somebody pay for something. Come on, admit it. Where you serve and serve and serve, and finally you're just ticked off because you're serving too much and you're not getting anything in return. And so you make them pay by being cold. Or you just draw the line too soon and you don't, pay, you don't give enough and you make them pay and they suffer where they're at. Neither one of these options is what, what Paul is talking about here. Walk in love as, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That brings us to this last bit, which is, what do you do when the pressure's on? What's the way to change? What's the best way to redirect yourself? What's the best way to sort of check yourself and make sure that you're not, um, you're not running off the rails on either side, but you're staying right in line with the truth of the gospel? Paul tells you. Paul tells you. He says that, as Christ gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? Old Testament scholars, we have some here. What was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? It was a way to deal with sin. It was a way for God's people to be, approach, be able to approach God freely without their sin stopping them, right? What's the way that you deal with brokenness in your life? What's the way you deal with a lack of kindness and a hard-heartedness? What's the way? The way is right here. To walk in love is Christ's love, to follow Christ. You don't give yourself out until you're so spent that, you know, you don't, if you give yourself out and you're trying to get back, you will exhaust yourself. And if you give out a little bit but hold all the reserves for yourself, you're not loving in the way that Jesus wants you to love. The only way that you're going to be able to do this is to see the one who poured himself out for you. And the only reason you don't do this is your functional rejection of him doing that for you. You understand? You reject Jesus in your place, on your behalf, living the life that you should have lived and dying the death that you should have died. You reject him regularly. I do too. So where is freedom to be found? Remember Paul's first statement, as beloved children, imitate God and walk as Jesus walked. The only thing that frees us to walk in, in a tender-hearted, kind-hearted, um, forgiving way is to see him in our place, to know that he, he is our righteousness. He is our kindness. He is the, the perfect imitator of God. He was God. He is um, the, the first and the last. He was the, he was the son who made many members of his family, many, members, sons of, many sons and daughters of God's family. Adoption is a big theme. We'll talk about that more in God's family. But it says here, beloved children, you're made members. You have the rights that Jesus has in his family. Why? Because Jesus went in your place. Do you see that? 
Are you going to go into work this week knowing Jesus in your place? Are you going to have your relationships with people this week knowing Jesus in your place? Are you going to be imitators of God, tender-hearted and kind and forgiving one another because God in Christ forgave you? Are you that oriented to God as your Father because Jesus the Son, the perfect Son, stood in for you and was treated as though he weren't a son so that you could be called sons and daughters? Do you know that? Think about him this week. Choose somebody in your speed dial on your phone to text about how you're praying that into your life this week and do it. Find some, find some friendship and accountability to pursue God as your father, to pursue God as one who's beloved as a child because the beloved child, Jesus, gave himself up for you. You can give yourself out to others in a tender-hearted, in a kind, in a forgiving way. And it won't be too much price to pay, and it won't be too little price to pay. You'll find balance when you put Jesus first. You'll be able to do it freely and with confidence and with as much resource as you need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have called us out of darkness and in the light of your presence through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for standing in. Thank you for your steadfast heart. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the fact that you are, uh, that we have forgiveness in you, that you are our forgiveness. You are our safety, our strong tower, and our shield. And we need to know that as we enter into day, as we uh, go into our weeks, as we go into work, as we go into our schooling, as we go into life change and moves, as we go into... Um, struggles that we're in, in relationships. Father, be with us. Anoint us with a blessing of knowing through your spirit that you have made us beloved children. We ask this.